Maria said 80% of gender-based violence yeah. is perpetrated by someone in their family or the their husband or partner. their boyfriend. Husband, 80%? Yeah. That to me, I, I could not live with. And I it's cannot not just, live with It's that. not just Kenya as well. Like yes. worldwide, most of femicide cases stem from intimate partner violence. Like, and the thing is that people are always saying that it's just their business, like leave it alone. Right. But until when what do we have to wait to happen? You know, it becomes a headline. Then all of a sudden, yeah. okay, but you're right. And then it, you're like, oh, yeah. I knew her, but, and you knew her. And then what, what did you do? Listeners, we really hope that you've been enjoying the new content in 2024. I really need your help though. We would love it if you would make sure that you are subscribed, following and sharing the show. Would you just take like 10 seconds today and share an episode that you loved with someone you know? If you didn't love it, don't worry about it. But if you loved it, please share it. It really, really helps us more than you know. Make sure you're following, subscribing. All of those things really help us to continue the work of bringing joy and justice to you. So we would love it if you do it. And if you do it, we'll keep on talking. We'll keep showing up. Thanks so much. Salam to everyone and welcome to the show. My name is Lily Bakala Piper and I'm really, really glad that you're here today. Last Saturday, January 27th, I, along with tens of thousands of people, gathered in, Ter- in Nairobi to join the total shutdown KE March Against Femicide. Over 10,000 people gathered in Nairobi, but there are also similar protests in Mombasa, Eldoret, Kamabe, across this country in 11 different cities to raise our voices in outrage for the 20 women who have lost their lives already in 2024. We're recording this episode on January 31st, the last day of this first month of the year. And we have all been stunned and heartbroken by the many women who have lost their lives just since this year began. But unfortunately, femicide is not new and it has been on the rise and partly because we're finally counting, we're finally paying attention, we're finally listening to the voices that have been saying, this is happening and it must stop. The marches here in Kenya were organized by local grassroots organizations and they demanded of us to show up. They demanded of men and boys to join the conversation. They demanded of our elected officials to pay attention and to create legal protections for women and girls so that this country, this place that we call home, could be more safe. If you are a woman anywhere in the world, we've all had that feeling at night leaving an establishment, you know, being by ourselves somewhere new and not feeling safe. Why is that such a universal but uniquely female experience. Why? Why does it persist? So many questions are critical for us to really confront, face, and address if we are going to make, wherever you are listening to this podcast, safer for women and girls. Here in Kenya, the National Bureau of Statistics estimates that 40% of Kenyan women aged 15 to 49 will experience domestic uh, violence in her lifetime. 40% of us. And not just that, but that one in four will have experienced domestic violence in the last 12 months. I argue that those numbers are probably higher, but that's what we're working with and those are not okay. Those numbers are staggering. And the lived experience of women, myself, my daughters, my friends, my sisters, you hear it over and over again, we do not feel safe. And the data verifies how true that is. 
the fact that gender-based violence is perpetrated 80% of it by boyfriends and husbands, 80% means that the threat is not just out there in the streets, it's at home. Today on the show, I have two pretty amazing guests who are going to help us unpack and understand not just the moment we're living in right now, but the global trends against violence against women. What we need to understand, what are the legal provisions we're missing, what are the social and societal causes and solutions that we also have to this problem. Before I get into introducing them, though, I want to mention a couple of things. First of all, in this conversation, we talk very specifically about the particular kinds of femicide that have been meted out against women and what that looks like. So there are some very graphic language, and we don't shy away from it because it's important for us to name it and say what's happening. But I do want you to know, listeners, that if that is going to be hard for you to listen, maybe pause on this episode. Secondly, my guests, one is a lawyer, one is a social scientist, offer their takes, their thoughts, a bit of their own advice and analysis, but they are not, you know, your legal advisors. So if you are experiencing domestic violence or any kind of violence, please find the resources that you need. And we are going to do our best to link in the show notes today as many as we can so that you feel empowered to find what you need if you are experiencing violence. But the legal language is that they are guests offering their opinions. And so please take it as such and as it's intended. And lastly, as is wanting to happen in Africa of ours, we lost power during this episode. We had some interference on sound. So at some point in the interview, a little bit later on, there might be a sound interference. Please stay with the episode. What they talk about, the evidence they cite, the examples they share are really profound. And I don't want you to miss on it. So when you hear a bit of that disturbance, please stay with us. I really think it's worth your time. So let me tell you about these two amazing women who are joining me today. They're not just guests, but they're also activists. They're people who have given their lives to making this place safer for women and girls. Maria Mina is a Kenyan lawyer who's known for her empirical policy research and analysis in sustainability, human rights, and gender equality. Maria has made significant contributions to the global discourse, particularly around her work for child asylum seekers. Maria is passionate about extending her legal work through her blog, Social Justice Insights Kenya. You can find her on Instagram and we'll be sure to include it in the show notes. Through her advocacy work, she reviews social justice topics through a legal lens, focusing on issues like femicide and female genital mutilation in Kenya. Her platform advocates for gender equality, reduced inequalities, and sustainable cities and communities. As a writer and a lawyer based in Nairobi, she really is passionate about igniting change and creating the conversations that will make this country safer for its citizens. Audrey Mugeni is the co-founder of Femicide Count Kenya, an absolutely crucial organization that is recording and documenting the incidences of Kenyan femicides. Audrey is a social scientist whose main objective is to make communities realize the intrinsic value of the girl and help protect her and create an environment that is conducive for her well-being. In fact, one of the things that I love about what they're doing at Femicide Count Kenya is they're not just framing, framing the issue as an issue of violence or a legal issue, but they're saying that this is a health care management challenge. Think about that, a health care management. We need to manage the well-being and health of women and girls more significantly in Kenya. Audrey is also doing her master's in gender and development studies at Kenyatta Universities, where her thesis is focusing on femicide in Kenya. 
In January 2019, she co-founded Femicide Count Kenya with her colleague. And it's an organization that has the only one that is really tracking the instances of femicide here on the ground. I'm really thrilled to have Maria and Audrey with us today, and their insights are invaluable. So thank you for being with me, Maria and Audrey. I'm so honored that you would give us your time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So let me start with just framing out where we are right now, what the crisis is and how we got here. So either one of you can start us off. Maybe actually, Maria, you can start us off. What is the legal definition of femicide in Kenya? Um, So in Kenyan law, femicide is not expressly recognized. It is categorized as under a murder or a manslaughter. So murder is intentional and manslaughter is unintentional. So femicide is internationally defined as the gender-motivated murder of women and girls. Mm. So this stems from root causes such as stereotypes, gender stereotypes, um, unequal power relations between men and women. So when you look at a murder of a woman, of a woman, then you look at the circumstances that led to her murder and even the, 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 sorry, the state of her body during the crime that mm. actually brings out the root causes. So, for example, if there is um, body parts missing, such as, you know, her private parts, then that shows sexual aggression and some sort of inequal power relation. So that is the definition of femicide. Uh, yeah, it's not expressly a crime in Kenya, but uh, that's what we're pushing for through the protests as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to build on that, how did the firm term femicide come to be? At at what point, and maybe both of you can respond to this, did that term become necessary? If we were already, you know, had a categorization for homicide, for manslaughter, when then did somebody say, actually, this is different? It was coined in 1970 by a social scientist. I am not going to say her name expressly because I, I do not remember it very well, but it was coined by a social scientist June somebody, and she was she was coining this term because women were being killed, and it's something else. It's something else when you get sick and you die. It's something else when you are in a car accident or there's a catastrophic event and you die as a woman. But it's completely different when you die in the hands of somebody who has said, has expressly said, I love you. I love you. You are the mother of my children. You have done ABCD for me. I am going to marry you. I'm going to sit down with you. So it was because of this that femicide was coined because women were facing violence. So they were facing violence and this violence would ultimately lead to their deaths. And these numbers were expressly high at that particular time. And it was important for her to just, you know, coin this term and say, we need to do something about it and we need to speak about it. And at that time in 1970, she went, she did a lot of research, wrote very many papers and published a lot. And, you know, just speaking about femicide and talking about what can we do and how can we, how can we even just um, gather together to ensure that femicide is going to end. So thank you for that. I think it's it's really sobering to think that a term coined 50 years ago yeah. has not stopped. Just no, the defining it of stopped. it clearly wasn't enough to address the problem. Mm. So Audrey, you co-founded Femicide Count Kenya. Yeah. Tell me why that organization was necessary and how you started. Um, it was very, very necessary at that time to start Femicide Count Kenya because women were dying and yet everybody else was saying that, you know, it's fine for them to die. 
So this was in 2018, in December. No, at the end, no, it wasn't really December, but as the year was coming to an end, two deaths particularly um, shocked the country. That was of Sharon Atiedo and that, um, and that of Monica. And Sharon um, had been known to have been dating um, the then sitting governor of Migori County. And this is the person who has allegedly, the case is still in court, so allegedly who uh, should have or must have murdered her. And Monica was, 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 was an entrepreneur. She was a businesswoman in and out of Sudan and running her business. But then she was found in her bathtub in Kilimani um, with her throat slit open. But the conversations around this, this particular two murders was, Sharon was dating a married man. She didn't know this 23-year-old girl dating a married man. She should stay off our men. Yes, they are going to die. Yeah, if you're going to date married men, then you're going to die. All she was looking for was money. And Monica, where did she get all this money to go to Sudan? All this money to go to Sudan, where did she get all this money? She must have been a sex worker. That's why, yeah, that's the reason why she died. Everybody was saying that. And this shocked us. So my friend and I, Dr. Kathomi Gatueri, we started Femicide Count Kenya together. So we were sitting, we were talking with other friends of ours. So one of our close friends tells us of another femicide that didn't get to the news. And this one was dosed in petrol and she was set ablaze. And you were like, wait, what? But we didn't hear this from anywhere. And she was like, but it happened because this was my very close, this was, this was somebody I went to primary school with. She was my neighbor at home and I, I actually know that it happened and she was buried because of having been killed by her husband. And so because of that, we said we need to do something. Guys, let's do something about this. What can we do? So Dr. Kathomi is, um, she's a professor in Australia. She lives and works in Australia but has grown up here. And we went to university together, Catholic university. And so um, I reach out to her in January of 2019 and I tell her, you remember we said we do something about the number of people who are dying because I was already collecting names of women who I saw. And this you're collecting must be it a from like the press, from the media? From the press. I was collecting it from the press and from the media. So she says, yes. And then she goes like, you know what? In Australia, we have Accounting Dead Women Australia. It's a Facebook page. So why don't we start a Facebook page like that? And just simply like that, so we started a Facebook page and we started counting. And January of that year, 20 names, we counted 20 names, women and girls who'd all been killed because of violence. And so this did not stop there. So we counted and um, would go through newspaper articles, would listen to the news. So I had to listen to the news every day. It's not something that I used to do all the time. But then I was like, you know, now this is, has become a, this is a job now, let me do this. So I'd listen to the news, I'd, um, I'd, I'd read newspaper articles. And then I also now started putting Google alerts. I started putting Google alerts, but then you know what? At that particular time when I told Google, tell me when a femicide happens. Oh, my Google didn't know that. Yeah. It didn't know that. That term is defined. It's out there. It's been it's there for decades. There. It's but, out there. but when it happens in Kenya, it didn't tell me because no Kenyan was talking about femicide. Yes, no Kenyan was talking about it. But then when I would say woman kills, woman killed by, woman killed by husband, woman killed by boyfriend, girl dies, girl killed by family member. So I'd get that's how I'd get my news. Okay. And that's how that's how we'd keep reporting. So we did this for the whole of that year and we reported 118 cases. In your so first year. Yeah, on our first year we reported 118 cases. And when you're saying you're reporting, where did, mm. where did you share that data? Was this a public media campaign? Was this now was, to official bodies? Oh, it was. We shared this on now the Facebook page at the time. So we shared this at the Facebook page at the time. So that was where that was where the count was happening. That was where we were doing that. So because we were just starting out, we're still now just trying to figure out what did you out hear from people? What did you hear from them? 
um, what are you? Are these women mad? Are you witches? Those are the things. How can you do something like this? How can you do something like this? Something, something must be wrong with something must be wrong with you. Where are you going with all of this? Those were the conversations that you are getting from people. So a few people, a few people applauded the effort. I have to say that a few people applauded the effort and they were like, you know what? This needs to be done because I remember that particular year I had my very first interview, my very first TV interview. I was like, hey, daddy, I'm famous. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I was I was on Nation um, Nation newspaper because of um, the 16 days of uh, activism against gender-based violence. Um, that year, Nation, um, Nation newspaper decided to speak about femicides and they talked about why we were counting and I said, I'm not going to stop counting until women stop dying. I will do this until women stop dying. When they stop dying, then I will stop counting. So I've been counting ever since. Wow, that gave me chills just to hear you say yeah. that. Yeah, we mm. won't stop counting until they stop dying. Mm. Uh, we pray that day comes yeah. soon. So you start in 2018, your first report comes out. 2019, the law still does not reflect femicide, if I'm understanding correctly. But there are current, quote unquote, protections under the Constitution. So what is provided under the law currently for women and girls, or if there, is there any specific gender language? Okay, so we have really evolved in Kenya. I'm really proud of that, despite much needing to be done. So in the constitution, we have the right to equality, despite gender, economic status, you name it. And from that, we have the Prevention of Domestic Violence Act, mm -hmm. and we also have the Sexual Offenses Act, and we have the Penal Code. Now, the Penal Code is the main one, uh, that came up and then later now was the Protection Against Domestic Violence Act, which now looks at uh, specifically instances of domestic violence. So that has the language, doesn't have femicide, but it has, um, you know, words that come up like victim, a vulnerable person, and they have the protection of victims within that act as well. So in that sense, yes, we have the protection of women. We have efforts towards, um, you know, combating gender-based violence. And also, I mean, it's good. It's a good start because most gender-based violence cases tend to escalate into femicides. So it's a good start. Uh, what we could do now is maybe the government should work with organizations such as Femicide Count, such as Usikimye, Zamara Foundation, to create safe houses, more safe houses, you know, platforms also where these women speak their truth, the survivors, and even... Um, I think even creating spaces for the victims' families, because as we know, like these instances of femicide, they create mental health problems. They also yes. they use a lot of money in the judicial system. Like uh, the longest a case can take, maybe three or four years. Ivy Mangeshi was killed, I think 2018, 2019. The case judgment was given December 2023. Yeah, Sharon's is still running. Yeah, yeah. there's some that are still Monica's running. Monica's is still running. Yeah, mm -hmm. some take a few months actually, mm -hmm. like, it's, I feel like sometimes they're taken seriously, other times they're not. Mm. So let me ask yeah. you, just given the, especially the time frame, and I think anyone who's been in court knows it's, it is never a fast process. Mm. However, would a specific legal classification around femicide mm. now then allow for quicker adjudication of these yeah. cases? It really would. Okay, mm. so like we have specialized courts like the London Environment Court, the Labor Relations Court, yes. something like that. So if we could have a court like that to deal with gender-based violence and femicide instances, especially because they're so high in Kenya, then that would help deal with the cases much faster. Like, especially because it's a problem. I mean, we had issues with the land 
system in Kenya for so long. Then we had the Land and Environment Court. And I mean, it's a bit better now, (laughs) but not the best. So that would help. And also having judges that are sensitized to these issues. I mean, you also can have a judge who's misogynistic, man or woman who believe in you don't believe in femicide sitting in on those cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also having working with victim protection uh, government agencies, we have one, and that would help a lot in those cases. So, yeah. And also, I mean, we've seen that the Directorate of Criminal Investigations has released a hotline to report femicide. And, you know... Specifically femicide. Yes, I just yeah. saw it yesterday, so... We'll make sure to include that so in the show notes that we get of as course. many resources to people. Yeah, yeah. so that's so, a good step for it. DCI number, I was just wondering, because I also saw it last night, and I was wondering, are we reporting femicides or are we reporting um, cases of violence so that it doesn't doesn't head into a femicide? Yeah. To be yeah. honest, that's a really good question mm-hmm. because the poster does say stop femicide. Mm-hmm. And I don't see the point in the public reporting femicides when mm-hmm. they don't understand Aside fully what, what it is. Yeah, yeah because mm-hmm. some are now going to say, I mean, some are now saying that all lives matter. And I feel like I'm getting flashbacks from George Floyd. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, we didn't say that, guys. We are, we're talking about femicide gender motivated killings mm-hmm. and you see now for an ordinary person they don't know how to identify a gender related so it would yeah. be great for people to use that to report gbv before mm-hmm. it does escalate because i mean 80 percent of women are killed by husbands and boyfriends yeah. in kenya so, okay so let's pause yeah. there. you've said a couple of things i think we need to just sit with for a minute <laughs> yeah. so first of all you were talking about people may not understand the definition and may yeah. report it yeah. but isn't it then on the onus now falls to the government or these reporting agencies to then decipher, okay, this is actually not, but isn't it still valuable then to have that resource? It Mm. is valuable to have it, but the next step is now education. Um, The public. Yeah, public education. I mean, you can see, that's the problem we're having for sure with people who are not understanding femicide right now. They're like, oh, why are you speaking about this issue? You have bigger issues, but... When people understand that these murders happen because of sexual aggression, because of gender-based violence, even just hatred of women, because to be honest, I think there's even some TikToks that says this, like, as as a Kenyan society, we hate women. Yeah. And sometimes you walk on the street and you feel hated. unsafe. Yeah, you feel yeah, hated. Absolutely, like, absolutely. There are times I've walked somewhere and I'm just like, what? Let me just take a cab, even if I don't have money for it. Yeah. Like, you just feel it. So I feel like the next step is education, like people even at home talking to your sons, your even daughters, talking to each other and understanding how to resolve conflict peacefully and even understanding what is right, what is wrong when you're in a conflict, even breaking down. Now the government should break down what femicide is and even just release a statement because there's mm. no statement there's yet. No statement yeah. you know, you've you've said yet. some really important things that the public education happens at multiple levels. There's mm, the yeah. government, and there's society and culture, there's our yeah. home communities, there's our church communities, there's our, yeah. it goes on and on, schools, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And if there was a clear message that should then be at every step, what would it be, Audrey? What is that public education message that needs to be cleared no matter where you hear it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the very clear message would be that um, we shouldn't be ending women's lives like that. Like we should like love how? our women. Like, like killing them. Yeah. Killing them. So um, we should love our women. It should be, this should be a message that's really, really clear. Because when we truly love our women, then we'd treat them differently. Because, um, because um, 
as has been said, that, you know, it doesn't just end up in a femicide. I don't wake up one day and just hit you and then you die. No, that's, that does not happen. There's a series. There's a series of violence over and over again. So we need to, we need to love our women. We need to hear when they are speaking. We need to do something, not just as one person, but as a society, as a community. When violence is happening, we need to be able to do something and ensure that this is stopping. I mean, at the march, I was really moved that there, there were so many messages that was such a powerful public education in many ways. I think the women who show up probably know a lot of the data. They know and understand the issue, but there were plenty of men there. There were plenty of people I saw even as we were marching join in. Like they were watching from the sidelines and I think and going like, about the day, they're like, wait, 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 let me, let me be a part I of this, <laughs> which I loved. It was really powerful. Um, and they really did shut down CBD because yeah. you're, you're watching and you're like, no one can access now this point of business because mm. these we've shown up. Mm-hmm. In that public gathering, M- Maria, what did you hear on the ground that day that either surprised you or inspired you? Mumetu Zoea. Yeah, Mumetu Zoea Kiswahili for you you are so used to us and you know we shouted this we chanted this for like uh, for like a whole 10 minutes or is it 15 or maybe even the whole way because we kept saying <laughs> mume tuzoea mume tuzoea and i was like for sure for sure men are used to us you know they are used to used to beating us used to treating us in a certain way and used to now they are used to killing us now they're used to killing us. Because why am I saying men are used to killing us? Because now they are on the internet saying, yeah, you think you're going to eat our peas and then we don't kill you. We will kill you. Oh, come on. That pizza. video was so scary. It's all for life. Yeah, yeah you're it's referring to that uh, yes. TikTok where the two men yeah. were saying, yeah. we'll kill you. We've taken yeah, we'll you out. We've, We've fed taken you. you out. We've fed you. Don't feed me then. Don't feed me. Don't feed me. Go feed fellow men. Because when you feed me as a woman, you're going to kill me. Don't feed me. Go feed another man because mm. you will not kill that man. Mm. That is basically that what is going to happen. You're not going to, you're not going to kill that man. So go feed a man. Leave the woman alone because you know you're going to kill her. Then don't feed her. Yeah. What I would like to hear from men are men stopping other men because that's what I, I was saying that earlier, that I would want to see men telling other men, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop. You know the way we appear, the way we tell one another as women, yeah, 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 that yeah. you know what, you know, um, you know the way we appear and they're telling, let me show you how to be a woman. Let me show you how to walk this path. It's what men need to do for one another because I don't know, I feel like men will respect that more. hundred percent. Because I'm hearing it from another man. I'm hearing it from my peer. I'm hearing it from, from somebody who has a chest like mine a body like mine, who walks like me, who probably walks on this earth the same way. Because I've always said, I'm going to give this example really quick. I don't know what I would do if I had a son because I don't know how I'd raise him. I'd, I'd be lost. But I knew how to raise my daughter. I knew it. Like I knew it. It was like I was born for this. Yeah. Like this is the path I'm walking. I'm like, sweetheart, come. Yeah. Let's, let's walk like yeah. this. Yeah. Let's walk like this. Yeah. I, knew, I knew what to do because I'm a woman. I was a girl. I knew the wrongs that I made. So I'm like, that's, that's wrong. Yeah. And you see, she listened and it was good and she listened. But if men are able to do that to one another, tell that other man, tell him it's wrong. You're seeing him beat an, a woman. Tell him it's yeah. wrong because it starts from there. Yeah. You beat now, you beat tomorrow, you beat to, And then after a few days, but then again, you know, also men are usually just pushing the narrative. How far can I go? How far can I go with this? When we sit back and do nothing, yeah. yeah. They yeah. kill us. They finish yeah. us off. Yeah. yeah. How far can I go with this? Like I've yeah. beat, I've beat her today. It's going to be a small slap tomorrow. 
too. Yeah. The other day, I went to beat her until, you know, she's not. But then I will keep pushing. I will keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And if nobody is saying anything, yeah. I will kill her. And that's why we are dying. So I mean, when Maria said, truth. yeah, when Maria said yeah. 80% of gender-based violence yeah. is perpetrated by someone in their family or the their husband or partner, their boyfriend, husband, 80%, yeah. that to me, I, I could not live with, and I it's cannot not just, live with It's that. not just Kenya as well, like yes. worldwide, most of femicide cases stem from intimate partner violence. Like, and the thing is that people are always saying that it's just their business, like leave it alone. Right. But until when... What do we have to wait to happen? You know, well, it becomes a headline. Then all of a sudden, yeah. okay, but you're right. And then it, you're like, oh, yeah. I knew her, but and you knew her, and then what? What did you do? Yeah, it's mm. so unfair to see like these things happening, and people are just assuming, oh, it's just because they were fighting. Maybe she did something. You know, when you read the headlines and you see a woman was killed by her husband. And the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh my gosh, but the second is, oh, what mm. did she do? Mm. It's oh. always, yeah. Or style to who wearing yeah. a short yeah, red dress. Like, yeah. Even the pictures they're putting, even the pictures they're putting, they're putting of her, up, you're like, yes. like, why? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. it's pushing that narrative as well. And that's why also the media, I don't know, we think we need some guidelines on how they report as well, because they're also sharing victim blaming mm. uh, testimonies. Yeah. So this also makes Kenyans, you know, People don't exercise common sense all the time. Absolutely. Common sense is not common. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a great like, line. Common I, sense is not common. I, me indeed. and my brother always say this: like common sense is not common. You know, yeah. someone does something, and you're like, "That's that's so not normal." So let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about the context in which we are sitting right now, Kenya. But I think it's important what you said, Maria. This is not unique to Kenya. This is a worldwide phenomenon. Unfortunately, it was coined 70, 50 years ago because yeah. it was worldwide in scope. The media absolutely plays a role. Yeah. We have seen particularly Kenyans hold the newspapers, the international media to account when they've reported. What, what comes to mind for me in particular was the mm -hmm. Dusit tragedy that happened yeah, some years yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. I think it's been three, no, maybe longer than that, five years even maybe ago. I remember the New York Times, do you remember, I put pictures of the slaughtered individuals who had lost their lives on the front page. Mm -hmm. And Kenyans absolutely would not stand for that. There was a massive boycott of the Times, a demand for better reporting, that they would treat the dignity of black bodies and African bodies with the same dignity they would treat anybody. And it, it worked. There was some pressures that actually caused a ripple effect within the organization. We now have the first East African who's reporting on East Africa, things like that. Mm -hmm. There is a role the media plays and there's an accountability the public must hold up to them at all That's times. True. Currently in, in here in Kenya, let's talk about the media's role. What are they doing well? What are they missing? And how is that a reflection of the society at large? Because you're so right that common sense is not only not common, but when I'm reporting this as a woman, I'm reporting it, I'm still a mother, even though I'm writing a story, right? That I don't take that identity out. Yeah. I'm still a citizen of this county. I'm still, so those things seep into the writing. Yeah, so I'd love to hear from you both you know, what do you feel the role the media is playing currently? How can they get better? You know, and, and how is that a reflection of the broader society that we're living in here? Um, oh, yeah. Particularly because I really do think it reflects the global situation we're in as well. Yeah. Um, I think the media is playing a very crucial role. Number one, to publicize cases of femicide because people don't know about these cases. Like Audrey said, she would watch the news and like note down the cases, but these are only the ones in the news. Mm -hmm. And it's good that they're reporting them in the first place because they would choose just not to. Um, on the other hand, there is the aspect of now sharing, I guess, the negative comments like victim blaming, like these women are obsessed over money, um, such things uh, that perpetrate the, you know, 
people also believe what they see on the media. That's what I was talking about when it comes to common sense. When people see things on the news, on social media, they take it to be the gospel truth. Yeah. And not everyone exercises critical thinking when they're reading. So me as a journalist, if I'm writing, I would have to put my biases aside and just report ethically. And as as the way the story is, um, without putting inside my biases of, you know, I'm coming from a point where I, I don't like women, uh, stuff like that. So what we can do better is maybe develop better ethics when it comes to reporting these cases, you know, being more transparent when it comes to pictures. I mean, be respectful. These people have families when it comes to their families as well, like share their stories when it comes to. Um, I mean, the crime scene, <laughs> be also respectful because some of the words that I use, you know, yeah. Yeah, you see you see very casual language sometimes being described, particularly yeah. the recent ones where they were in rented properties. Yeah. Um, you know, why would you go to a rented property? You know, things mm, like that, yeah, those questions, exactly. absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. how, how about you, so, Audrey? What are you seeing as a media's role? Um, the media has played a very big role in the work that I have done and I have counted primarily from the media. So if it didn't come from the media, then I wouldn't count it. I would only count if it came from a very reliable source and I knew, you know, this is an actual femicide. So the and media that's still your only source, am yeah, I correct? That's still my like, only that's source. Still the, that's because still the government's not recording it, so yeah. you are then doing so that I'm doing deep dive. It. So, but what, what, I would, what I would want to see from the media is that it shouldn't be, this should not be news when it's not, it should, it should not be news the only time when they feel like it's important because this became news to the media when it was Talet Wahu and when it was Rita, when Rita was dismembered, then it became really important news. But then, you know what? When we were counting in 2020, the numbers were pretty low, 40. It's not that women were not dying. That was time during COVID. In 2021, the numbers were also pretty low, 70. They were really low. In, 20, in 2022, the numbers were also low. Why were these numbers low? Because what was the media doing? Uh, COVID. COVID and uh, elections campaigning. And then campaigns and then the elections now. That was what the media now was focusing on. And women's issues were put on the back end. I tell you now, something else big comes. The media is not going to be reporting. We will not be speaking about femicides like we are speaking right now. I am so excited at, about what is happening right now because this needed to happen. The yeah. whole world, every Kenyan needed to know that women are being killed for not being killed. So right now that there is no issue, I'm so happy. I'm excited. Let's ride on this. Yeah. Now I'm telling everybody, let's ride on this. Let's push this as far as we can because the moment something else comes up, it's over. Yeah. We will not be talking about femicides anymore. Yeah. But this is the more, it's hot now. We strike when it's hot. So I would want for the media to speak, keep talking like these are societal issues. Talk about them. Don't just leave them alone because they are, you know, because it's a woman who's died. Keep talking about them. Yeah, yeah. keep talking about them. Even when something else important is happening, talk about it. Yeah. Is there a gender desk at some of these newspapers here in Kenya where there is somebody actually tasked with following this up as far as you know? I, I, I don't know. I'm okay. not very sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very sure. Because every time I speak to the media, they say, um, you know, um, I was doing a I was doing a piece on, you know, um 
a woman's piece and I was doing something on violence and then I thought that this could be a way for me to take the story. So I don't know if there's a gender desk, mm. but maybe a gender desk would be a good thing to do, you to know, start, yeah. so that so that this is always, it's, it's perpetually reported and there's always a report given to this and we'll always have to hear about it. Yeah, because yeah. I'm really struck again by how important your work is because mm -hmm. the government is not counting it mm -hmm. in order for it to be something that people understand, recognize, and then rally around. You need mm -hmm. an organization like Femicide Count Kenya yeah. to really raise the profile of this issue. And now mm -hmm. that it has gotten, I mean, it made global news. We were in it every did. newspaper it across did. the world, which is pretty powerful. And now the tension hopefully will rise. Hopefully the reporting will change. When we think about though now, like you said, the, the, the momentum is here right now. And you mentioned the COVID years. You know, mm. President Kenyatta during COVID, I think it was June or July of 2020, saw the rising numbers of domestic violence. We, at least internally, that was being tracked. Um, a few months later also, one or two, then the rise of pregnancies, teen pregnancies were just heartbreaking. He issued a report, an investigation to as to why these numbers were rising. Did we ever get a report? What did we learn from that moment? Did anything ever come to surface as a result of that 2020 investigation? I think for me, I think as a social scientist, the one thing that we learned was that it is more dangerous to be in your home as a woman than to be out here. Yeah, because the perpetrators were with us. We were locked in with our perpetrators. For two years, we were locked in with our perpetrators. That was one of the things that was realized because it doesn't happen out there. You know, the thing that we've been saying all the time that let us, let us believe the victim when they say that this happened to me. That particular moment, that is what that is what should have been learned there. Mm. Because children were not in, when children are in school, who's having sex with their children in school? No, yeah. there's no one. But in the home, then they are being violated, they are being molested, and we are having a rise in teen pregnancies. Mm. In the home, then you're being beaten over and over again. We were living right there, in there. It is in the home that we need to start. It is this fabric that we need to look at and see what needs to be fixed in the homes first. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it needs to start from there. Maria, in your experience from the legal system, do you feel like when we think about in the home, do you feel like women and girls, young people are aware of their legal protections under the law and willing to come and report them? I would say that when it comes to the awareness of rights and the legal system, uh, women mostly are not aware. Mm. I'm saying this because, I mean, in Nairobi, in Nairobi, yes, it's common that people get assaulted. And that's why people tell each other, oh, you know, I did this, I did that, you should do that too. That's how they're aware of such things. But if you go to like the rural areas, like these women are raped and they don't know yeah. that they've been raped. They just assume that um, he was just forceful, you know, it won't happen next time, something like that. So I feel like there should also be more education, I think, in the families on how, you know, men should treat women or how normal relations look like. Like yeah. is beating normal? For some people, beating is normal. Uh, actually, there was a, a study done some time back, I think it was on Citizen, that they said most women believe that they should be beaten by their men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you remember that? And I was like, are you serious? Like, mm. um, so you see, we also instill, as women, we also instill these beliefs in our younger daughters. So yeah. it's whatever you accept is what they believe is normal. So more education, more legal awareness. I mean, we have legal clinics. The Law Society of Kenya has legal clinics where you just walk in, 
you get free legal advice. Okay, great. We'd so, love to share that resource too. Yeah, so yeah. They, that, that's always there. Um, and there's also pro bono services mm. offered by lawyers. So I think women should just be more aware of maybe the system, the systematic, like what they should do when they're reporting, what should they, they should expect and how to carry themselves. Yeah. But yeah. At, at the end of the day, I think education is important. It's power. So to build on that, um, Audrey, through your work, um, tell us what you would also advocate for women to know and understand about what's available to them, the resources available to them. Mm. Um, Just hearing Maria and um, hearing her say that the first place you need to go to is, 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 the, is, um, is the hospital. That is in writing, but then in practice, you need an OB number first. So report and then quickly go to the police. In practice, that's how you're going to be, that's how you're going to be served. Because you'll go to hospital and you'll tell them that this has happened to me and they'll say, um, I cannot, I cannot start anything until I have an OB for you. What's an OB? An OBGYN? No, no, um, no. Occurrence book number. Occurrence book number. The police. So you need to go and report first. Okay. And then you so that's really important. Yeah, so that's really, really important. You, in practice, you... In practice, by the way, you'll have, just go to the police station, just tell them, yeah, I've been violated. I just need to report this so that I can go to hospital. I need to go to hospital. And the police should give you an OB yes. number yeah, that the you police, then take with you. The police will write this and then now you'll go with this to the, and sometimes even the police is the one. Um, I remember a case where the police, it was at the police station where we got the paper where the doctor was going to fill in um, what had happened when they were checking. So that also happened. So you can also get it from the police station. So just go let them know. And then, yeah, because they are police station, because they are gender desks, they already know that these cases are happening and this is going to happen. So they are going to assist you and then you're going to go to the um, to the hospital. So the hospitals are also... There are, um, most hospital or most government hospitals, you will get treated, but then there are private hospitals when it's a rape, then you will not be, they will not be able, they don't have the rape kit and they will not be able to treat you in, in, um, in Nairobi. So it's, um, it's the Nairobi Women's Hospital. So that's where you need to go. And then, um, Maria has also said, um, don't shower, don't change your clothes, don't cut your nails. Don't brush your teeth because those are the first things that you need to do. If you need to change, you can change, but then fold the clothes really nicely and then put them put them in a brown bag. You know, the mm -hmm. bags that we use to cover bag. our books. Yeah. No, not a paper oh, bag. Ah, a paper okay. bag will sweat ah, and okay. the evidence will disappear because the first thing that the court will say that there's no evidence. You are keeping the evidence. So you are collecting the evidence already. If you are able to do this by yourself, great. But if there's somebody who you trust, who you know, they will go with you through this process. This process is really, really hard. Then go with them. So put the, put, put, put the clothes in a bag and then now um, go to hospital and then do all the necessary. But then even after you have reported, do not be relentless. Show up for the court cases. Go for the court cases. Repeat what has been said because it is in reporting these people. It is in saying that this happened to me that other people are not going to be violated. Okay. Yes. In the family setting, in the family setting, yeah. let's point out. Let's say that uncle. Don't go near that uncle. Yeah. That uncle will rape you. We are very scared to say that. In the family setting, in the community setting, don't go close to that home. Let the children know there, that man, 
let don't go there we need to be able to just talk absolutely. about this absolutely why are we just letting somebody how are you seeing somebody walk into somebody's house and then you're just you're like don't go there i mean we yeah. would do that even with like don't eat that food i don't yes, know don't kitchen, yeah, is don't the kitchen is clean so yes. how much more for our how much more? personal yes. safety and the yes. safety of our loved ones or mm. anyone that yeah. we wouldn't say we i don't trust that house period yeah. and don't, no apologies yeah. you know it doesn't need to be ashamed of that if there then, is any threat i want to go back then, to the bag really quick too but okay yeah. finish your okay. thought and finish then lastly if you're able to access counseling it will be the best thing you're ever going to do for yourself because yeah. this is a difficult journey to yeah. walk. Yes. Do you have some resources maybe you could share with us? We'd love to put that in the show notes of it like you were saying Kenya Law Society has some free legal clinics. I'm wondering if there are support groups or other free services that women um, can access. For right now I know of Usikimia. So I know you can get a lot of resources for Usikimia because amazing they do a lot organization of work. too. Oh, yeah. yeah, they do a, they do a lot of work when it comes to sexual violence. So Usikimia will give you great resources and Nairobi Women's Hospital will give you absolutely great, great resources as well. That's a great that no that's a great start and we, we can we, look, I yeah, no that's I'll great too yeah really mm. valuable what you said I just for clarity sake I also want to go back to the bag you were saying don't use a brown paper bag because it will sweat and you were starting look, to say was, and I cut you off about the right kind of bag to it put has your clothes to be in. it has to be it has to be a brown bag so not the newspaper mm-hmm. not a newspaper because the people who put it in a newspaper so newspaper a newspaper has chemicals sure. so it might infect your evidence but then. I don't know how to explain the this brown bag. bag, the khaki bag. Yeah. Okay. It's a brown yes. bag. I, I I want to say it's like the one that covers your books. Yeah. We use it to cover our books. There are there are there are butcheries that yes. use that yes. to to put meat in. So it has to be brown like that. Oh, it will okay. not termin it will not terminate your evidence. Everything will be intact because if you use a paper bag like the nylon one, mm. the nylon paper bag will sweat. So your clothes in there will sweat and the evidence is going to be spoiled. Great. Yes. Thank you for sharing those. I know neither one of you are charged with giving legal advice or with, you know, social yeah. services. Just opinions. But <laughs> so we say this as these are women who are willing to come and give us yeah. their expertise, but of course everyone needs to Um, I think I'd also like to add on the bag. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I wrote my thesis on like forensic evidence. I really yeah. love true crime, mm-hmm. but that contact evidence, like you can, like it, like your underwear, you can get the DNA from even the manufacturer who made it all the way in China. Wow. So if you're raped and they test DNA, they can find so many pools DNA mm-hmm. on it. So it's better to preserve it in that bag because the paper bag has touched the uh, supermarket attendant's hands, you, your hands, your dad's hands. and those people will be called upon because their dna is on the clothes mm. so in this cases dna is really important yeah yeah, yeah. so because best, that's where they get us it's where they get us exactly. there was no evidence that's the strongest you can get it's, because yes, yeah. there's no evidence it's it's said over and over where is the evidence there's no evidence so let us collect the evidence yeah, let's collect really the evidence important. present the evidence yes yeah, yeah. and then keep up with the court cases go and go and go until this person is tried Absolutely. We were talking before we started airing about the other ways women are experiencing violence here mm. and what are the other places we could be counting because could, could you speak to that a bit more because yes, you gave other, some really powerful examples. Yeah, the, the the other places that we can be counting because right now we're only looking at intimate partner violence. But there are things that femi- uh, there's there, there are things like um uh, the female genital mutilation. Girls are dying from this. This is a femicide. When we look integrally to it, we'll see there are botched abortions. if we focus on what happened for this to end up in a botched abortion then we can be able to see what it is there are honor killings there are honor killings there are the witchcraft killings you know when women are called witches and they are killed when we are able to look into all of this then we'll be able to see all the different nuanced 
femicides that are not being counted. And then I'm also going to add the Shakahola massacre. If we looked at the Shakahola massacre and literally did looked into it and saw how these women and children died, I believe you me, the number of women, uh, the number of women we counted last year would be more than 150. There'd be more than 150 because of that. So what, what are our cultural practices that are killing our women and girls? What are our religious practices that are killing our women and girls? These are also forms of femicide. There's not just one form of femicide. There are many forms of femicide. Yeah. So important, the religious and cultural practices, because that's the society we live in. Yes. You know, this is what I was talking about. You know, off the court, you're a judge, you live in a society. You're a teacher, you live in a society. Mm. And if those practices in our churches and our communities are reinforcing misogynistic messages, messages that condone violence, it's very hard then to then come into a, an, a, a court case, for example, and feel like you're going to get a fair trial if the mm. person there is immersed in a culture that condones it. Yeah. You know, it's really, really important. So thank you for that. Yeah. So a few years ago, within six months of each other, Kenya lost two of its most outstanding athletes. Agnes Tirop and Damaris Mutua were both killed by intimate partners. Those cases are pending, so I shouldn't say, it's not allegedly, I should say. I remember when they were killed, there was an article in The New Yorker that asked, why are female athletes in Kenya being killed. And I remember being stunned by that title because I thought, hey, this is not just happening in Kenya. This is a global issue. But it also humbled me because I think the rates in, in Kenya are, are higher than um, they should be. So what is the global movement around femicide? What are the numbers elsewhere? Where does Kenya stand in comparison? You know, is it getting worse or are we just paying attention? You know, you've been at this work for many years, Audrey. Are we just paying attention um, or has the problem always been there? So can you give us a little bit of the context on the global scale and also on the continent that you think are important for us to, to hold as much as we understand Kenya's situation we're trying to? What are the other numbers or information we also need to understand on the ground and the continent and also globally? So the femicide numbers are very, very, very high in, in Africa as we are speaking. Um, the numbers used, it used to be Africa and Asia. It was to be Asia first and then Africa. But last year, this turned around and then now, so Africa is very high and then it's Asia. And in terms now, of gender-based violence, in incidences terms, of gender-based violence? Or? In terms of femicides, I'm talking about femicides. Okay, femicides, yeah. okay. So the femicides in Africa are much higher. And then Asia is following very closely. So I think it's 18,000. For Africa, it's 18,000 a year, if I'm not wrong. And then Asia comes in at a very close second. Um, 12, and then now um, the other continents. I didn't really focus on the other continents. Mm -hmm. But then the thing that's happening is that in Asia, in Asia and Africa, we are not really, we don't have, we don't have um, observatory. We don't have femicide observatories um, that are the national, where the national database is kept for the femicide. Mm -hmm. So the research when it comes to femicide has, has largely been born by uh, by the West, by the European countries. They're the ones who've been doing the research on femicides. So we need to do this as, as continents as well. I just want to reflect on what is giving you hope to sustain your work. I imagine this is not easy work. It's not easy to be on the front lines of the crisis that's happening now. And so I'd love to hear, you know, what, what is sustaining you? What is, what is giving you hope in this moment? 
Right now, for me, it's the fact that I'm not I'm I, I'm not the only person who's counting. Yeah, other people have come <laughs> up and they're counting. I'm like, yes. yes, let us all count. Yes, let us all count. Let us. And now I believe that now research is going to go into this, and we are going to make better laws. That's giving me hope. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Even for everybody who said, "What are you doing?" I was like, I knew what I was doing. Yeah, I knew it when I talked. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you mm. want to go, was it fast? Go alone. If you want to go far, far. yeah. Go with others go with yeah, others yeah absolutely. so now so because because even after the match that we haven't stopped we're not we've not stopped talking mm-hmm. I've, i'm seeing that um we are still organizing we still want to make statements we still want to work with the government to ensure that the demands that were made on uh, the statement that was given that are going to be met and i am just happy that this is you know like it's snowballing into something really yeah. really big and it's yeah. it's now a movement yeah. i'm very excited about that so that gives me a lot of hope yeah for me, I lost hope at first because, <laughs> I mean, you start, I'm sure you've been there. I mean, you start to do like research, like I'm, uh, I'm a research coordinator at a nonprofit called the Thinking Water Mill Society. Mm. And we do a lot of research like on gender equality, on policies that affect women. And I think sometime last year I was like, to what end? Mm. You know, like for what? Mm. And when I did, I keep doing the work on the on femicide now on my platform and now people are sharing and I'm just like, they get, they're sending me messages like, wow, you're doing a great job. And I'm just like, oh, wow. You know, yeah. like I, people are actually looking at it, uh, but before they were not saying. So I feel like what's keeping me going is that people are willing to learn. They just mm-hmm. don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. So I will continue providing the resources, providing the information, doing great work and just breaking it down for normal people to understand the law because people are so afraid of lawyers and the law. So mm-hmm. <laughs> my job is to break that barrier down with a huge kick. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that really gives me hope, especially the protests this January. Mm-hmm. That has given me like a really big push, like, hey, I'm not alone in this fight for gender equality. So I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, it's really yeah. powerful. That's <laughs> really you. awesome. I'm so grateful both of you are here today. I don't know. I'm just feeling just tremendous waves of gratitude because I think on our end here at Salam and Hello, we're, we're always talking about justice, mm-hmm. but it just fuels us to see the tremendous work that you both are doing in your day to day and Godspeed and may you have everything you need yeah. to achieve the goals because when you win, we all win. We do. Um, and so that's really, really, really powerful. So um, as we close, we're really closing now. I think yeah. I've said that twice, but now we're really, we're really landing the plane, put on your seatbelts. Um, we always ask people some questions before we let them go, which are just more fun and spontaneous. Um, we like our beverages around this place. So let me ask each of you, what is your favorite drink? And you can interpret that any way you want. <laughs> Daytime, nighttime, anytime. Oh, mojito. Mojito. Mm-hmm. That was clear. You were ready to answer, actually. I was ready. I was like, oh. <laughs> I feel like when I'm in a restaurant and they bring the menu, I'm just like, mojito. mojito. <laughs> Maria Mojito, got it. In the night, I, li- I really like, I, I like my alcohol sweet. So I love cocktails. Mm. So the sweeter. The sweeter, the Something better. Has, has cranberry and, you know, the sweeter, the better. Oh, yeah. colada and then, yeah. <laughs> so next, after we get done, we, we can go and hang out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, and then lastly, you know, we, we love to also focus on the joy of, of life. Mm. So I'd love to hear from both of you. What's bringing you joy today? Mm. Today, what's bringing me joy is 
life i feel like i'm just grateful for life if i can be honest with you like life is just up and down yes. <laughs> or every single day life is throwing you a lesson <laughs> like, so true yeah so i feel like i'm just grateful to be alive and experience the human experience because i feel like i've lived like the five lifetimes since 2019 but i'm glad to be alive yeah mm. yeah what's bringing me joy actually what brings me joy all the time is getting a text from my daughter and she going like hi mom and i'm like this is trouble this one wants money she wants money <laughs> and she's like no just saying hi and i love you and i hope you have a great day it gives me so much joy yes yeah, yeah it gives me Listen, so much joy listen everybody and text like, your mama right now <laughs> if you're blessed to still have your mother with you yeah. send her a text and she does these um pretty i think every morning i think Aww. yeah like every morning so i'm like i'm so scared. i'm like what what she got uh, and i usually every time it goes hi mom i'm like <gasps> yeah so much money <laughs> oh that's beautiful yeah. you've raised her well yeah, yeah. you that you have a daughter who will just text and say i love you it's beautiful mm, that's beautiful yeah, thank well thank you both for being on salam and hello for your resources for your work beyond these cameras we will make sure our show notes have all the ways that people can find you follow your work support your work if you have an mpesa line put it there we want to know it because we want to make sure that your work continues what you're both doing is so incredibly important So thank you not just for being here but for who you are. Thank you so much. Thank you. So listeners, I hope today's episode served you well. That you heard something that resonated with you that you could find yourself in this conversation. If you are somebody first and foremost who is experiencing violence, please get help. You are not alone. There is a community of people waiting to help you. In the show notes today, we have listed several resources for here in Kenya. um they are Kenya specific um but we hope that they will serve you and get you the help that you need and we will do our best to continue to share those resources in the coming weeks and months those of you who are just listening to this and wondering what do i do i'm just a whatever it is <laughs> just a teacher just a person there is always something we can do conversation starting i mean that is so important that public education piece that they talked about start the conversation at dinner tonight at your office tomorrow in your school ask the women in your life what is your experience of violence what is it like for you at home at work at school start asking those questions i i remember when the me too movement started to really gain traction my husband ben asked me lil is it really this bad i mean we've been married almost 25 years and he's still asking me what is your life like it is so important that we share it but that then we're asked that we're communicating that we're setting new norms wherever we are that we're raising children who recognize the signs of violence that we ourselves know where to go if we're experiencing it or know somebody who is so we will have resources in the show notes but my invitation to all of you is to make this place more just do what you can wherever you are this is not just another episode for us this really is the heart and soul of who we are and want to be how can we access joy if the places we live are bereft of justice for our human rights and our dignity. So thank you for joining us. Please share the episode. It really helps. It really matters and on a topic like this, we want to make sure the message gets as far as it can. So thank you for tuning in today. Take care of yourself, take care of others, take care of the women and particularly the girls near you. We need each other. Be well and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. I don't stop the baby, Oh, darling.